0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to DNVR Biz. I'm your host, Brandon Spano. We have an amazing show for you today. A good friend of mine and an investor of DNVR, Brandon Watson, is on the line today. And uh, Brandon is an incredibly overachieving person. He's accomplished a lot. He was the lead at the Kindle team. Uh, He was on the Windows Phone team at Microsoft. Like The dude just has done incredible things. And he has a super unique and independent way of thinking. And you never know which way he's going to go when you ask him a question. And so it's always interesting to have him on. book I'm reading right now is The Warrior of the Light. Uh, Talked about it yesterday. Uh, Actually about to finish it up, so I'll have a new one tomorrow for you. Today's quote is really cool. The warrior of the light knows that one who is giving advice about someone else's garden is not tending his own plants. Can't think of a better quote for Twitter than that one, right? Let's jump to the stock market here. Everything up about two percent today, it, and we're. It looks like market closed about twenty minutes ago. It's Tuesday afternoon here. Two uh, percent on the Dow, one point eight nine percent of the S and P five hundred, and one point seven four percent of the Nasdaq. All up. We talked about Draft Kings yesterday, and uh, Draft Kings down about five percent, but it was up about fourteen uh, coming in. So still up for the week uh since last week i should say one that we can talk about here cars.com uh this is one that's kind of been on my radar it is uh 660 right now uh before the pandemic this thing was trading at 13 bucks i just know that it's just gradually gone up and uh it's one that i like a lot it's it's you know not only is it a, a great company that has a lot of liquid but uh it's the future of of car sales in my opinion vehicle sales so uh i like that one cars.com it's cars uh c-a-r-s Crypto. Bitcoin is trading at 95.22.18 right now. Uh, almost exactly where it was yesterday at this time. Altogether, uh, crypto has held steady. There's none of the crypto on my watch list has moved up or down a percent. Let's jump to the interview. Brandon Watson coming up on the other side. My life. Very much. I told her. Howie McDuffie, Holiday Stats. So, I have Brandon Watson here with me today. He has done some extraordinary things. He was the senior director of the Windows Phone Project at Microsoft. He led the Kindle team at Amazon. He was a VP of product management at Oracle. And he's also an investor of this company as well as a friend of mine, just to name a couple things. He's just really an, an extraordinary guy. So, I'm super happy to have him on. Thanks so much for joining me, Brandon. Really really appreciate having you on, brother.
1: Yeah, of course. It's, it's funny how we came to cross paths though, so a couple years ago. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got, really. you got AJ to thank for that, for uh, taking my uh, taking my tweet seriously. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's crazy. Uh, you know, th- they say hire your biggest fans um, or, uh, you know, in this case, in, in many other cases, you're not the only one, uh, accepting investments from your biggest fans. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Okay. So let's jump into this here. I, you know, I, I want to just kind of jump all over the board because I know that you really have a vast array of, of uh, knowledge and expertise in a lot of things. So I want to go from tech. I want to go to diversity in the workplace. I want to talk to, I want to talk about printing money today, which is something our country is doing a lot. So uh, we'll just kind of let it go at an organic pace. Let's start with your story though, because as a young biracial developer and leader trying to get into the a bigger role into the tech world you were given an opportunity by microsoft to do something special and i would say it paid off for all parties i'd love for you to just touch on that process and why things like this are important for companies to establish as we're trying to create a more inclusive and and diverse
1: workforce sure yeah i mean it's funny i was talking to my little brother about just life and whatnot we you know we we have many interesting conversations. We couldn't be more different philosophically, but that's in a in a good and healthy way. But um, he, we were talking about kind of important turning points in life, and he had mentioned, you know, my internship at Microsoft is a critical turning point for me. I said, well, you know, I I know that I believe that to be true, but I'm I'm interested to hear why you think that's true. Uh, and he said, because it was the first time you were really around a group of strong black men, and you didn't feel like you had to prove anything. And I said, "Oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about that." And, and in that conversation, in, in many sense, something he identified was absolutely correct. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles, which, you know, very is very much a melting pot. You know, and and my father being light skinned and my mother being uh, Creole, I, I just I look the way I look, and it is what it is. But uh, you can tell I, I use that phrase all the time: "I look the way I look." I look. it is what it is, because I say it. I have to say it all the time. I'm always qualifying my quote unquote blackness. And the schools I went to, you know, I was the the only kid. Uh, black kid in my class, or maybe one of two. Right, there weren't a lot of us. Same with my high school. I think there were six African American males in my class. And in my senior year, we merged with the uh, the girls' school. I actually couldn't tell you the number at that point. Graduating maybe 15, 16 out of a class of 240. So, you know, getting to Microsoft, and then in my very first internship, being surrounded by a bunch of really talented. Uh, engineering students from across the country, all of them African American, we were all kind of we we all kind of clustered together because we we literally in a class of 600 interns at Microsoft we we were the black interns and we just kind of made a joke of that and we all found each other and that was fine. But I got very lucky, you know, in in my sophomore year of high, uh college, just wandering into the wrong engineering building because I had to go to a, a teacher's hours or whatever. I'd never gone over to that that specific engineering building. There was a sign on the cork board that said, "How would you like school paid for?" I was like, well, that sounds awesome. Let me learn more about that. And it was a national minority engineering scholarship that Microsoft was offering. And uh, I said, well, that, that seems like a good deal. Let me apply for that. Cool. And, you know, four months later, I, I got the phone call that I was, uh, I was receiving the uh, the scholarship and with it came an internship and uh, it really changed the direction of my life. Cause at that point, you know, I was studying business and engineering. I thought I was going to go with a you know, I don't know, investment banking consultant, something like that. And I didn't really know much about Microsoft. Exciting. I was Exciting investment banking. Yeah. Everyone's dream. Well, you, know, you, got, you got to understand, right? I went to I went to the University of Pennsylvania, which uh, of the Ivies, it is the, you know, because it has a business school, it's kind of known as the the kind of financier trade school. And that's, you know, when you when you come from Los Angeles, you don't really know what investment banking is. You hear all the, oh, it's all the money, blah, blah, blah. And I will readily admit as a 18, 19 year old kid trying to figure out what I want to do with my life, the prospect of making a lot of money didn't sound terrible. Uh, I didn't truly understand what the role of an investment banker was. I know that now having done that job, but I you know, you know, didn't know what it was then. And so it put me on a trajectory to be working in tech, which was not the path I was on. And I came to find out that I enjoyed it a lot. And the funny thing about that story is that the, the, the engineering scholarship, it was meant for to get people that were going to be testers or, or developers, right? And so it was related, related to me many years later by the guy who was in the room and the decision was made as to who got the scholarships. And we've since become friends uh, over all these years. And uh, he told me, He goes, yeah, well, when you came up, it was, you know, I said he gets it next candidate and the whole discussion was, well, wait a minute, he can't be a tester. He doesn't have the right engineering courses. He he certainly can't be a developer because he hasn't taken the right courses yet. (laughs) Uh, and, And he said, great, we'll put him in a product manager role. I'm like, we don't do that with interns. He goes, we'll figure it out. And I was like, one of the first product manager interns at Microsoft, they didn't even know what to do with me with cards and whatnot. So they made up a title. I was an assistant product manager. I still have the, my original business card. And I, I just got really, really fortunate that, they, that as a company, they were focused on uh, inclusiveness and hiring from historically black colleges and universities and, and making a, a concerted effort to grow their, their base of employees to include folks that would otherwise not have had the opportunity. So I, just, I got very fortunate landing there and it's, it definitely set me on a trajectory in my career that has, uh, you know, I can't, I can't be upset with how my life's turned out.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I want to touch on something you talked about at the beginning here and it's essentially the career path thing. It, it makes me think of an issue that I never really knew existed uh, and, and that might be shallow. It might be something everyone knows um, or it might not be. But I read Andrew Yang's book, which...
1: The War on Normal People? Or I think that's the name of it,
0: it yeah, essentially I, I don't actually remember the the title if he's written more than one it, It's his most recent one, and it's essentially on the basis of um, it, it's the idea that our smartest people and, and biggest problem solvers that are going to our you know uh, most i guess uh, highest most respected institutions, whatever word you want to use. Instead of them coming out and uh, solving problems or creating companies, advancing society, they're being kind of swept away by these accounting firms and, um, you know, Wall Street and... Uh, essentially you know private equity whatever these these kind of big money institutions that can come in and they can tell an 18 they can tell a, a 20 21 year old kid guess what dude soon as you come out uh you're gonna make 180 you're gonna make 220 you're gonna make 140 whatever uh and it's just so much money and what happens is you end up taking this person that can change the world and you end up putting them behind a desk and they're working like 16 hours and they hate their life but uh, and and maybe by the time they're 24, 25, they're burnt out, but they've already got what they're going to get out of them, and and now the entrepreneurial spirit is gone, and you know we're just we're we're I guess you know the the thesis on this is that we're just stripping our society from the people that can help it the most.
1: So I read Andrew's book, and and uh, you know I remember early on when, I, when he first showed up on my radar, you know my my thought and commentary on him was of all of the candidates in the Democratic Party at the time who were who were announced for president, he is certainly presented as one of the most pragmatic thinkers uh, and oh, he's yeah. definitely coming out with a mindset right. of, of trying to solve like the problems that we have in front of us. Uh, I, I take exception to, there, there's a bunch of things in there that you said, so let, let's kind of piece them apart one by one. Sure, so I was, sure, I was sure. one of those kids that got mainline, mainline <laughs> that way, right? So, yeah, yeah. Which is why I wanted to ask yeah. you. This. Yeah. So let's be clear. The PE firms and the hedge funds their, their pipeline is they hire out of the investment banks, right? So they're not really hiring yet, but they do have a selection criteria, which is, did you go to the, one of the top schools? And for them, it's a twofold thing. One, it's the credentialing, right? Look at all these Harvard undergrads we have who work here, right? But it's also a filter function, right? They, they know that if they get someone from Harvard, it's, it's generally accepted that you're getting a, a top quality, uh, really, really smart person, right? And, and specifically in finance, smarts matters, but credentialing matters. Now, I know two industries really really well because of the two industries I've worked in finance and, and tech. tech is altogether different, which is intelligence is the only thing that matters right they don't really care where you went to school It helps for sure, but in tech they don't really care if you went to college they don't really care if you even finished college what what matters is what have you done what does your code do right what are your ideas what can you execute on? I love so, that by the way yeah and and it's 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 good and important and you know, especially now right i I don't know how much I really no, that's not true. I learned a lot about accounting and finance at Wharton that definitely put me in a different position than someone maybe who was an English major who was a, you know definitely a mental athlete but got a job in an investment bank as an English major. They struggled to get up to speed, right? Because they just didn't have multiple years of financial accounting and, and other types of those classes. But it, they can clearly get there. Otherwise, the, the, those programs would stop hiring kids with liberal arts degrees. So it doesn't really matter. It helps, but it doesn't matter. So so let's you know get back to the the, the kind of what was being proposed is that our best candidates are going to jobs that don't necessarily benefit society. Okay. Um, that, 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 that is a values statement. Sure, sure, right? sure. That's a value that, base, right? Yeah. It's, well, no, it's a values statement, right? It's, sure, it's sure. what is valued by society. And and I don't know that I necessarily agree that what they're doing is not important, because you could argue that in some cases some of these kids that end up in private equity firms are working on deals that are fixing companies that would have otherwise gone out of business, right? Everyone likes to paint private equity firms as these like rapacious, kind of companies that, that go and buy assets and, you know, do double deal and pay themselves. And that absolutely happens for sure. But the firms that I work with, they are more growth investors. And what they're doing is they're investing in businesses and they, and they, they bring in the the talent to make the companies work better. And so when that happens, oftentimes you do get people left behind. And therefore the message that can come out of that is, well, this private equity firm came in and bought our business. They fired, you know, 15 people and ruined lives. But The reality is those 15 people maybe weren't good enough and 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 the company was trying to hit objectives that they needed different talent. I'm not going to make a judgment as to whether that that's right or wrong. I'm simply saying that that sometimes is how you can get a conflated uh, discussion around whether or not the right thing happened. Right. right. It, it, well, it, and, it, and, it, and I respect it, it this because it.
0: this goes against the, the blanket assertion that's, that's happening right, right now. And you're just saying, hey, the blanket assertion is right for some of these and it's not for others. There's just more nuance to this. Well, there's nuance.
1: That's right. There's nuance. And so, you know, at the end of the day, though, we as a society, right, writ large, this is not a, you know, private equity thing or a capital. As a society, we, especially younger we's, meaning in their 20s, you know, late teens, early 20s, we want clout and we want money, right? That's kind of, you know, it's, that's what we worship at. We, are, we worship at the altar of success. And so when you are given an opportunity to go kind of pursue that path you take it because you know it's a constrained resource that not everybody has access to. Okay, but the the, the flip side of that is we as a society don't necessarily hold up as uh, exemplars of our community the kid that went and did five years of of you know Habitat for Humanity or five years you know teaching English in a third world country. Right? We don't hold those people up as uh, as on the right path and something that should be celebrated. And so that's that's where we need to, as a society, hold up a mirror to ourselves and start saying. Well, what do we really value? Because the people go where the, the money and the and the clout and the the opportunity for status in your community are, and if if what we celebrate is wealth and what we celebrate is a material acquisition of things, well, then that's the shortcut to a better life, right? If you can get into one of those one of those jobs, and so that's that's where I think Andrew's a bit wrong and misguided in in his assertions, and, and he is it, he, what he's basically saying is we're, you know we're stealing these kids, we're not stealing the kids, the kids are deciding to make. I mean the kids you know they're. 21 22 years old they can make their own decisions and they're deciding to go where the capital is right where they can get a good job and and work on cool stuff and and get some clout right i wouldn't say working at facebook now is the same thing but certainly six seven years ago if you said i'm coming out of college and going to facebook you were viewed as wow you must be an elite Uh, absolutely absolutely and so there's there's clout there and and the money certainly didn't didn't hurt that equation right
0: Let's take one step back here um, before we go full into the market uh, and and let's talk about inclusion a little bit. Diversity, uh, you know, these are really interesting to me because what I see a lot and, and I'm come from someone that comes from not a lot of privilege uh, economically, of course, and from a pretty diverse background. And, and what I see from, I think what we see from a lot of um, companies is, Hey, look at this equality and, and or, or, or I should say, look at this diversity. And it's not necessarily diversity of thought. It's just a, a diversity in skin tone a lot. And we see like, you can have a white person, an Asian person and a black person all in the same company. And you're hearing, Hey, check out this diversity. And then you look back and it's like, they were all in Mrs. Johnson's fourth period class in middle school. And so there's certainly diversity there. I'm not saying this shouldn't be championed for it but I do think that we lack issues in diversity when it comes to what about the guy that, you know, grew up South of there in, in, you know, Compton. What about the, the person from uh, Watts? What about these inner city youth that are trying to, maybe they, they came, they went to a, uh, Metro instead of CU, if we're using a local reference here, and they're in these, 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 these inner city colleges that they paid for themselves so that they could try to, and they taught themselves out of code and, and whatever, you know, there, there's all these instances, and they're not necessarily getting the same opportunity, and so I, I guess I'm, I'm kind of speaking over the question here, but I just wanted to make sure I framed this correctly and share on this podcast kind of why I'm asking this, because that seems to be the way I look at the biggest issue right now.
1: So what are your thoughts on it? So I would, you know, I think about this stuff a lot, uh, just given the socioeconomic background of my wife and I, we come from two very different backgrounds and it's, you know, something that we spend a lot of time thinking about, the opportunities available to, to individuals, right? And you are correct in asserting that certainly at, at many companies, the diversity reflects diversity of skin tone, maybe not necessarily diversity of socioeconomic class. Sure. And those sure. Are 2 Let's be clear that those are two very different things in terms of you know diversity means diversity of voice for sure. And you want as many voices are representative of what kind of culture you're trying to build in your organization. But I wouldn't assert that every company needs to be you know, a United Colors, a Benetton, accurate reflection of the, the population of your city or even your country in terms of who you've hired and socioeconomic background, because that's not necessarily that's not going to work for every company, right? You need certain skill sets, you need certain this and that. So, but what you did highlight is how do you, if you're a kid that, you know, comes from a less socioeconomically privileged background, maybe a, you know, you're not in the mainline school that is going to get you to whatever end point that you want to get to, how do you get noticed, right? How do you get that opportunity? And that's where the selection criteria and the filter functions come into place. And for hiring, hiring is expensive. You know, it's, it's, it's expensive, it's, it's hard. You know, you got to go through many interviews to find the right person for the role. And so, as, as recruiters, you know, people that we're, are trying to hire for teams, we, we use these filter functions of, well, where did you go to school, right? What have you done? What companies have you worked at? We use these, these filter functions to quickly sift through the inbounds, right? And that is certainly so like heuristic because, based. Yeah, but it, it certainly could be classified as unfair, right? Or likely to create a less diverse environment, right? Many people uh, or many companies, they they want you to You know, refer a friend and hire from your friend pool. Well, now you just have a company that looks like the people that already work there. That's right.
0: That's right. So,
1: (laughs) so there's there's there are these kind of filter functions that get applied, and and that is difficult. But I would say that certainly now, being twenty twenty, there are more ways to publicly present your skill set than has ever been in existence before. Right? When I got out of college in ninety undergrad, 95, there he's was an no oldie. he's an uh, oldie. I'm, I'm an old man. Uh, there was, uh, there was certainly no public repository that I could point to and say, this is the code that I can write, hire me. Right. There, sure, there was no, sure. there was no way to really start a business and say, well, I started these three companies. I had an exit. You know, it, it was, it was just a much harder thing to get noticed, but this then points to, well, what about the economic divide that prevents the haves and the have-nots with regard to access to the internet, et cetera. And those are all real issues, but it's certainly getting better. And I try to remain hopeful about these things. But I, I just, I wish we at the high school level, and, and it, it, this gets back to where my, where my head is always at, is where are we dealing with the problem? I'd rather deal with the problem much earlier in the process, which is the education path, right? <laughs> are we teaching kids in middle school and high school about... Finances, about entrepreneurship, about sure. running a business, right? Because if you do all of those things, now you're opening their minds to possible future outcomes. Versus they've got their they go home, their parents might be working double shifts, night shifts. They don't have that same kind of family interaction. They're not getting the inputs like, "Hey, you should really be thinking about college," or "Here's a future plan that might exist for you." They might just be hearing, "Yeah, man, there's no money for college, so you best, best be getting a job when you graduate." And then right, right, their, their, their mindset is totally. unfortunately affected in a negative way, right? So I don't, I don't have an answer for how to solve the problem of like everyone's from Ms. Johnson's class. Their, their companies certainly trying to do a better job here, but you are right in that it's not necessarily about solving for just skin color. You do want to make sure that you have solves for giving people who want the opportunities an opportunity to present themselves as a viable candidate for whatever role it is you're, you're trying to fill.
0: Am I crazy for thinking that these nationwide protests and riots are going to produce not just positive results, but maybe the biggest societal move towards equality that the nation ha- has ever seen and and i say that fully understanding you know uh, i mean listen there's been negative ramifications for this obviously but is it crazy to think that hey this this is this could be one of the biggest positive changes that creates a, 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 a an extremely positive change all, all around especially for black people in general
1: so let's let's frame this as a as a time span event horizon issue right I, you know you're you're younger than i am my my knowledge of kind of immediate tangible knowledge of history meaning i experienced it i was born in 74 but really extends back to maybe the late 70s early 80s when i was kind of aware of stuff right okay. uh, i don't i don't remember obviously carter getting elected i do remember reagan getting elected in his first term so it was 1980 but but i've lived that experience okay so that is my life experience so it's hard for me to compare what we're going through today to say the riots in the 60s, right? In terms of potential for outcome, the level of unrest, how people were feeling—it's hard for me to kind of put that into context. And it could be described to me by, by people that I've spoken to about it, but I still can't contextualize it. So, it, it's hard for me to make a statement that this will produce a change different than that, right? Because from from everything that happened in the 60s, we we got a lot of change for the black right community.
0: right right civil rights movement obviously huge and, yeah. and i i wasn't alive for that of course so no, no. not not to discredit that
1: for sure no, no I, i'm not saying that you're discrediting at all right, i'm right. just sure, I'm sure. Paint it and contextualize it which is i have sure. photos of my father marching with dr martin luther king but I, I don't know what that really meant or felt like or what it meant to be in that photo right right so right I'm agree that, right so in the context of you know are we at a unique point i think. You know, given what happened to me this weekend, my, my wife and I, I don't know if you were aware of what happened with us on Friday going into Saturday. Did you see all that? Yeah, yeah, I did. You know, I did. I did. You know, we, we became targets of, of some pretty, we we'll call it interesting uh, voicing, seeking to discredit and nullify my uh, my credentials as a black man by uh, by white women. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I one of the comments I made in talking about this has been, it does feel like the right people are listening. And we are at a point in time where, you know, the right people are listening and people are receptive to change and to steal. Actually, Jesse Montano was the first one I ever heard use this, uh, this phrase ratio, right? The ratio on that, that thread where all that went down was, I mean, it was so completely not in their favor. These two women that were kind of just kept digging, kept digging, kept digging, it was the amount of like support of Brandon and Christy, my wife was like, you know, 155 comments support of these two just these two talking to each other right so right right right, right. You know, ratio definitely pointed to a, a very clear picture of no 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 one's actually arguing in favor of you no one's saying you have a good point like nobody is agreeing with you literally nobody right uh, so that, that that I remain hopeful for that but as a black male who has been raised i'm you know obviously light-skinned and so for me it's it's i live in this dual world where you know i went to the prep schools a lot of white families some don't know i'm black right so i hear a lot of things when i'm when whites are at rest i say you know that they don't know that i'm in the room they forget oh Um, man That, that that's probably the most you know when i read
0: your entire post that's probably what got me the most you know, just the idea that you're in a room with black parents and there's just people that are in there just, you know, just saying those words is just, I uh, just gave me, uh, it's just uh, super, it was uncomfortable to read, which, which I knew right then. If it was uncomfortable to read, I couldn't even imagine being
1: you. Right. But let's, let's, it's interesting, right? So let's frame that out because, you know, when I was in my 20s, right, the stuff I would have heard was like blatant racism right? Just like, you know, black people suck, right? This is like a catch-all phrase, right? Um, but what happened this weekend was, you know, she's very much identified herself as a liberal. So when I say a woke white liberal woman, I'm, I'm not speaking in a, in a pejorative way. She she was seeking, she wasn't, you know, if asked if I thought she was racist, no, because her point of view was, she was defending the Black Lives Matter movement and and, and seeking to not allow any attention to be taken away from what she believed was the true plight of the black male in society, because you know darker black males have you know harder problems than I have, and and seeking to deny my my struggle, seeking to deny my existence in support of Black Lives Matter, right? And so <laughs> when when I point out that sort of thing happening those are the things that continue to happen. Those are the things in the type of, you know, we'll call it the the racism that exists in America, which is even when someone believes they're operating from a place of support, they still use words of interposition and nullification. Not okay, right? And so, you know, do I think lasting change is going to come? It's hard for me not to be cynical, just given all the cycles I've seen in my life, but it does feel like enough people are listening Enough people, you know, it, again, to talk about the ratio, it, it seems like it's all going in that direction. However, this is one of my gripes right now. And I'm, and I'm, this is conversations I need to have within my, my black community and, and, and talk and figure out who, who this person is or set of people are, but, but who are the leaders right now in the black community that are, that, that are the voices of what it is we want, because I don't see it right now. And that's what's, that's what's tough for me. There is no Martin Luther King, there is no Malcolm X, there is no, like, who's the galvanizing figurehead and i'm not sure we need one but i just i want to believe that we're at a point in time where that those voices can rise up but also rise up in a way that is it is what is accomplished is collectively good for minorities as a whole but recognizing that there are african-americans who despite what joe biden thinks are black and and don't vote democrat and that's happening more and more and so as a, as a voting block, I, I don't like this notion that, well, what's good for one black is good for all blacks. That's not true. It's just not. And that, as we grow as a society and as more blacks enter the middle class and, and there's more transitions in belief sets and, quite frankly, interracial marriages, right, there's going to be a diversity of opinion, which, which separates out this notion of what's good for blacks, therefore, that's what we want versus... How do we move forward with equality while at the same time satisfying the needs of those who have one set of viewpoints versus another set of viewpoints without kind of layering in racist viewpoints? It's like some people are very liberal, some people aren't. Blacks can exist on that on that continuum. I,
0: I I very much I can't speak to these specific talking points, of course, but I do really appreciate and agree with the idea that, that the majority of this country is very independent of thought. It is, there are, you know, liberals that also own guns and gay people Probably A that, lot more now
1: in the last month or so.
0: <laughs> and and gay people that vote conservative. And, you know, I'm just pulling those two out, but like whatever, how you know, whatever cross section of opposite beliefs in political party you want to you know throw in there there's all of these people everywhere which is different than what we see on social media particularly twitter which is essentially these groups that all have this exact same kind of core group think and they mob together and they attack each other and the entire thing is you're just if you're like someone like me who really tries to kind of go and approach everything with independent thought, which is a political belief in itself. I'm not, I'm not, not political. I'm, I'm very political. It's just on a case by case basis, you know, it's, it's crazy to be inside of that and watch the mudslinging. Okay. So let's, uh, let's, this is, this is really weird to jump to the public marketplace right now, but I think it's important. And some of this actually is going to kind of double down right back into Socioeconomics, uh, and and so let's let's talk about this one. First off, you know, in a shocking story yesterday, I read that the Fed is going to start buying individual corporate bonds. The specific program that we're talking about here, that's been approved, gives them the ability to buy up to seven hundred and fifty billion dollars worth of corporate credit. So, my question, Brandon, is how is this not a full-fledged corporate bailout?
1: uh for the wealthy when you say for the wealthy you mean because wealthy individuals tend to own stocks well no because i think companies are propped up because the bonds get bought and you know that the wealthy who own stock will then therefore benefit
0: listen here's how i look at it we just printed trillions of dollars right and and a lot of that uh went to large corporations and now we're going to double down the fed's going to start buying individual corporate bonds which for anyone who's listening that doesn't understand that i mean this is debt right this is credit Almost a trillion dollars worth of it. So it's tough, I think, in this economic climate to not see that as a red flag.
1: So it, it, that's a fair concern. And I would argue that there's a few things operating here in terms of the calculus of decision making that weren't true six months ago. When I was a kid, Kool Aid was a thing. And the Kool Aid commercials had the Kool Aid guy come smash through your living room wall and he'd scream oh yeah and the whole family sat around like what what just happened here and they're all looking at the kool-aid guy comes to the that is essentially what happened with COVID right the government has come straight through your living room wall and destroyed your ability to work destroyed your ability to destroy the economy there's there's all kinds of kind of knock-on effects of decisions we've made in the last handful of months that is requiring a bunch of maybe we'll call them unorthodox or never tried before never done before decisioning to try to fix what is a Brand new situation, right? A, a super complicated global economy, totally interconnected in a way that absolutely was not the case when the Spanish flu hit in 1918, 1920, 19, right? We didn't have this level of interconnectedness; information didn't move the speed of light. And so, I, you know, there's definitely things you have to do to keep certain companies up and alive and running. What what I where I take umbrage with a lot of the what we will call the corporate bailouts is, you know, the money goes into the corporations and they don't do the things that, that should be happening, which is putting money into people's paychecks, right? So, you know, I saw presented online as one idea, which was instead of bailing out the companies, just literally paying people their salaries, instead of going through the companies, just put the money in, like, we have ADP, we know what you made, you're not working now, great, we're just gonna give you that money. Instead of giving it to the company, we're gonna give it to you. So you're getting paid, you can work, the company, their, their payroll expense goes down, so it's kind of a corporate pay but not really, cause you're just giving the money straight to the people who can then decide how to spend it that could be an interesting option as well. I think companies right now, there's just so many interconnected pieces in terms of companies, who their who trading partners are, what their employees are doing, who's buying stuff from them. It's very complicated and we're trying a whole bunch of stuff. It might work, it might not. You know, We printed a ton of money. Somehow that's not inflationary because I think according to monetary policy, the structure of the system hasn't changed and therefore we can print as much money as we want and it doesn't actually cause inflation because reasons i I'm, i don't I, I haven't been able yeah, to follow right. the logic but i know that there is a credible argument to be made that because the actual underlying economy is still structurally sound nothing actually broke unlike 2008 printing money is okay i'm not i I'm not, i don't have the level in town despite all my degrees don't have the intelligence to be able to tell you uh from an economic standpoint how that is true or not
0: okay so, but, but but let's just let me just ask you Specifically, if you had to guess here with your experience, which you have a lot of experience everywhere from the biggest institutional investment to being a startup founder to investment, everything. So can we print trillions of dollars without repercussions specifically without inflation? And if we can, uh, how does that change monetary policy in this country moving forward? Because what I, I mean, I heard somebody get on CNBC a week ago and say, despite printing trillions of dollars, he still thinks that we're in a deflationary period. So, like, what's going on? If you just had to to, to try to make a wild guess
1: here, I, my again, I don't have the experience, knowledge, or data set to credibly make this statement. But what I will I will qualify it by saying my gut says printing money bad, right? Just bad. You can't just flood the market with money and dollars because if and when. We do. Let's just say we we could flip the COVID switch uh, August one. You know, great. COVID's done. Everybody go back to your normal life, right? Well, that's a lot of dollars sloshing around that need to go somewhere, and those dollars are going to again drive up prices, and you're going to like you're going to have inflation. So I don't know how that doesn't work, but maybe I'm wrong. I'd love for someone smarter than me to explain to me. So I think printing all the money bad in the way it's been done but it then starts causing me to ask questions like well if you can just generate the money you need by pushing a button printing it why am i paying you taxes right i, I don't understand right if you can just that's say the well, big one. Need, that's, that, need, that's the big one if so, it works and it doesn't well, create inflation to run, the it, come it, to the country right here, we're going to push that button once a year good for you give me my money i'll make sure it gets spent in the right way growth all around for everybody but you know push that button whenever you want but if that's priced in we understand that it's you're going to do that anyway because it doesn't seem like the rest of the market broadly cares that we're printing all this money. Great. Stop collecting taxes from me. Right. Let me spend the money how I want to spend the money. Let everyone else spend the money how they want to spend the money. And you push that button once a year that generates your tax revenue and off we go. Right. But I don't really think that's on the table right now.
0: (laughs) Okay. Let's, let's jump to interview at, it's your latest project company idea, all of the above. above. Uh, Tell us about interview at, and it seems like, a lot of the stuff we've talked about here, this interconnectivity, um, opportunity, we even talked about being able to, you know, you talked about this kind of subset of, of hiring practices. This could yeah. help improve that, give people that don't have these uh, opportunities economically to maybe interview the same capacity that someone does have economic advantages. So t- talk to us about interview at and what are you doing with it?
1: Yeah. I mean, so my main uh, business is my, you know, I'm an entrepreneur and well, I, I've been running my advisory firm for going on four years now. And, and I, I basically serve as private equity clients and that's what I do. It's kind of boring and stupid. And most of my wife's friends think I'm unemployed, which is exactly how I want it. Right. No one understands what I do. Great. Perfect. Let's leave it at that. Um, but coming into 2020, I gave myself a challenge to start up two new businesses because I, I like starting businesses, how you and I got involved. I like the entrepreneurial grind. I love doing the work. And so I had one idea that was a hardware-software thing that I've been kicking around for the last five years. Couldn't really figure out how to, make it a, how to make it work with the technology that was available and the thing that would sell. I think I finally cracked that nut, and so I'm starting to prototype that. That's a ways out. But uh, the other thing was this notion of, I spent a lot of time with these private equity firms, helping them hire smarter, hire better, teaching their leadership teams how to use the frameworks of how to hire uh that i've learned at amazon microsoft all these companies i've worked at and so the original thesis with the interview at was i was just going to build an online learning product that i could sell to these companies because i don't want to get on planes to go teach people how, you know all these frameworks but then COVID hit, and i realized or, or the switch that i made in my head was instead of teaching companies how to hire better why can't for all these people they're going to be impacted in interviewing why can't i teach them how to leverage these frameworks so that they show up better in their interviews and so I just started doing free, free mock interviews, thinking it was just going to be a couple times a week, no big deal, free service, help people out and, and give back. And it's turned into something completely different, which is what you want in an entrepreneurial venture, right? Your customers will tell you what they want. And what I'm finding is precisely to your point, which is people who haven't had access, who don't know, who haven't been through these cycles, they, there's so much that can be taught and the availability of tools today to convey that information to broad audiences who would have otherwise not had access to it. To help them shine, or to help them do better, help them learn, help them whatever. That is what is, this is turning into because I'm basically chopping up all these mock interviews and turning it into learning content that I'll just be putting on YouTube. Right? It's like, all right, look, here's a VP of Marketing. Like, how many of you have ever sat in on a VP of Marketing interview for a, a tech company? Not very many, right? Right. 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 And, so, and and then you know there's there are a few people on YouTube that are that they position themselves as, as interview coaches, and that's fine. But uh, they were recruiters or they were headhunters. I ran teams. Like my team at Kindle, I ran a three and a half billion dollar business. And at Microsoft, I ran a you know 25 person. So I've run huge teams, small teams. I've started companies. I've done all the things, right? So my lens on this is I know how to build teams. This is what I've done. And everyone who's ever worked for me, I give them the same like this is how we can do this better. Let's you know, hire this way. And so in passing that information on to people when they do the mock interviews, it's It's a real interview and they're getting the feedback that they never got, right? So they might go interview at Amazon and get, because Colin says, you didn't get the job. Why? Oh, they want to go with someone else. And that's the extent of the feedback. But when when we do a mock interview, I treat it as if I'm doing a real interview and I do the full write-up and I, I give them the report out, which is what I would have read into the room for a candidate debrief. And we record the whole thing. And it's a whole, like, here is how you can be better. And here is like, this question was targeting this specific topic. We, we wanted to test your level of ownership, right? And in understanding that's it's an ownership question, these are the things that you can focus on to make the answer better. But then you can also focus on these other kind of tangential leadership principles that will boost your answer to make it look even better using the same experience for your story that you're using. How can you present better in an interview? And it's, it's been rewarding in the sense that I'm getting great feedback, but also just how it's helping other people. Cause as I chop up the videos and I give them back to the, the people that went to the mock interviews, they're starting to post them into their social circles and go, Hey, here's something that might be helpful for you. Check it out. And so it's been, it's been interesting. We're still figuring it out, but it's been interesting. Okay. Let's go to the speed round here. You ready? Well, no. So you, you told me these questions were coming and I appreciated the heads up. Here's the problem. One, I got stuffed in a lot of lockers as a kid. So I'm a bit of a nerd. I read a lot and I have a lot of thoughts. So, so when you ask these questions, I'm going to say, well, you're going to have to categorize it better because I've got multiple answers. So we're going to have to go deep into the knowledge man. Okay. Okay. might not
0: necessarily be a speed. It might just be a round, not a speed round. There you go. Most important book that you've ever read? well in what genre i mean but what but you know for me i think of like when i think of important books i mean there's certain books about certain categories that were really important but like what was the most important to you like like what was the most important to your heart what was the one that changed the way that you thought and the one that that made you view the world differently you know those was there anything that books. inspired you huh? those are three
1: different books <laughs> So that's my point, right? You want self improvement? I can give you self improvement. You want nonfiction? I got nonfiction. You want graphic novel? I can do that. But it's- I, think, I think some of the most
0: trans, transcendent books I've read are fictional books. Fictional books. Okay. Well, I would say. I, no, no, I'm not selling you to I'm, I'm yeah, just yeah, saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. No, I, got it. Me, I, I, just, I think there's a way that someone who really understands the world can create something in fiction that you just can't do in, in nonfiction. And I, 90% of the stuff I read is nonfiction. So. But anyway, so go ahead. You you you've... so so, so
1: so if I were talking to just in the in the in the vein of the conversation we've had right around kind of uh, entrepreneurship and startups and you know working, I would say the most important book I read was The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg, which allowed me to frame and re understand the how and the why of how my brain operates, so that I could then, when setting new goals, set myself up for success, right? Sure. By by relying on thinking, but if you want to talk, you know, but you weren't inspired that, by it, but yeah, no, well, it's no, no, that's, that's one of the ones that I hand out to anyone who says, okay. I, need to, okay. I, need I, mean, but, I think it's a phenomenal book. I agree. It's incredible. Sure. Great. But I would say nonfiction, right? There's, you know, science nonfiction, which is Sapiens, which is an amazing book and just kind of gives you a lens on how humans have evolved. But boys in the boat, you know, if you want to go the sports motif, that's a, how does teamwork get you to a better place? That's a great book. So it just depends again on who's asking the question, what are they trying to accomplish? I got, I, I can go for days. My unfortunate. So ask me how big my Audible library is, and then you can stuff me in a locker. Uh,
0: you know, what? I'm I'm pretty sure that we did this before, and I forgot what the number was, but it was something ridiculous. I read probably 100 books a year. Okay, so that's about double. I I, I don't I, I don't know if you saw my my Twitter post. I think I did 56 last year. Excellent. Um, so so you, you crushed me. You, you crushed me
1: no i just have a lot of time when i'm outside running around my bike and i'm listening to stuff so
0: (laughs) i know yeah no i just same with me same with me and i'm on the bike i'm in the bike game now so i'm i'm uh i I went so since beginning of quarantine let's see what i've let's see what i've done here i log every every bike there's been a couple that i forgot to do but i've done Strava. strava will auto log it for you 653 miles since quarantine 653 hold on i'm curious so I, um, this is not. This
1: is not me. That is, is awesome. Bus. It's amazing. I <laughs> love oh, if you're saying
0: that's awesome and that's amazing I- I- in a real, uh, like, I- in that way, that means that you're
1: about to say no, that, no, 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 like I, 900 I,
0: I, miles in that time frame. No, no, no.
1: I, I absolutely love that anyone who gets out and does does the work. That makes me very happy uh, when people get out and do do the work. Since the beginning of COVID. God, I wouldn't even know I, my average distance per week over the last four weeks is 83 miles a week.
0: Okay. So. Okay. That's, Hey, I'm
1: doing, I'm about doing that. I'm, I'm about doing that. But, but my big ride and that's, but that's on a mountain maybe, bike. Maybe a little less. The, the mountain bike miles don't really equate to uh, to road miles. So when I'm on a road like this weekend, I have a, I have to ride a century on Sunday
0: yeah so my, my i mean my biggest trip is like a 35 mile trip it's the longest i've ever done so yeah no like uh, like
1: last week i rode up trail ridge road which is, if if you've ever gone up trail ridge road that's a it's not a lot it's only 20 miles from the park entrance to the top but you know you go up five thousand feet so it's a you know that's the kind of stuff i'm after
0: okay we're boring everyone here so yeah yeah are yeah, um, nerding out
1: on bike stuff who's the
0: most underrated athlete of all time again which sport you have to name the most underrated athlete. Come on! It depends. it depends. Come on! You cannot put it. You can't. This one does not need segmented. Oh, absolutely! Pick, pick the Hold most on. underrated athlete. You have right. to pick the one that you feel in your heart's right. most underrated. Right. I'm, I'm going to melt your brain. All right, so you, let's you're in a bar. Everyone's named someone. They turn around to you, and you have to. You got to slip a guy out
1: right, right out of your mouth. Again, it depends on who I'm around. If I'm around AJ, I'm going to say Felix Potvin. Right, Change the goalie game in hockey, but. But from around your boy, Ryan, I'm going to go with probably Randall Cunningham, maybe Kurt Warner, right? Okay. Okay. But you bring bring Cressman into this, I'm going to say Fernando Valenzuela or or maybe Edgar Martinez because I'm not really sure how well known he is outside of Seattle, but that guy changed the game from the D8 slot, right? We can go motorcycle racing, Troy Bayless, right? Totally underrated. This is a guy who won the World Superbike Championship, was given a one-off ride to go ride MotoGP and won the race. No one's ever done that before ever. It was amazing. Right. Or the everyman. Cause I do a lot of endurance sports. Everyman Dick Hoyt, Dick Hoyt. This is the guy that does the Ironman with his, with his son in the, uh, the wheelchair. That's hopefully, amazing. Hopefully you don't shred this one oh
0: uh, into a million pieces. What space or business are you most excited about in the, in the near future?
1: You know, I think it goes back to our conversation. We have this one actually had uh, only two answers. The tooling that's available for remote work, and what that means for entrepreneurship and running virtual companies really excites me, right? Just think about what we're doing right now, right? You've got a video camera, you've got a microphone, we're talking to each other from across. We live in the same city, but you know, we're separated by, I don't know, 30, 40 miles right now, but the ability to do this, create content that you can then reach a wide audience and build the brand of the NDR, right? And continue to provide value. You're, you're forking the brand to allow for multiple podcast types to pull in more audience. Like all of this tooling that's available now, and what that means for someone like you who's got an idea, who doesn't come from privilege, doesn't have the access maybe necessarily, but you had a great idea and you knew how to execute. It's amazing. And I love it. So what, what does tomorrow hold? What does, you know, two years from now hold? What is 10 years from now? I don't know, but we're trending in a good direction. That makes me really excited.
0: Awesome. Love it, man. Thank you so much for, uh,
1: for joining today. Really appreciate you, man. Of course. I mean, look, it's, a. Uh, what, look, I don't think you get enough. Well, maybe you do get enough crap. Maybe your guys over there floating, <laughs> blowing up your ego, but, uh, <laughs> you built, what you and the team have built, it, it really is something special and I'm glad to be a part of it. Um, uh, it's been awesome to watch it grow and, and get more people involved and, and just watching how it's changed. Certainly my relationship with the, with the sport of hockey. Um, you know, I grew up watching in LA, but, but I wasn't, I lost my touch the game when I went off to college and it, you know, it was great to be able to reengage, but as you and I talked about it, you you give me the, the superpower superpower being able to be a hardcore sports fan without being a hardcore sports fan, <laughs> and it's great, it's awesome, and you, you just it's it's fun to be a part of. Uh, and I you know now with the bar opening up, which you know I, I guess I lost the uh, the invitation. I don't know what happened. <laughs> I don't know where that went? Uh, I mean, this has been the weirdest thing because we've legitimately
0: been like worried about even being like are we allowed to be excited that this is open are we allowed yeah, to is. tell a bunch of people to come is yeah. it like irresponsible if we do that uh it's been the weirdest thing in the world we still haven't had a grand opening
1: that's all right we'll get there we'll get there i'm just giving you a hard time i just, think, I just i'm just <laughs> giving you a little bit of kudos and applause for everything yep, you built i really appreciate it man awesome to be part of
0: all right brother hey thanks so much man talk
1: to you later of course talk to you so often, people you grew up with laying in a coffin, but I have made it through the pain and strife, it's my time now, my world.